This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand-new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. I never expected to be making hand sanitizer, that's that's for sure. People just can't get hand sanitizer. How can we pivot all our people and our production capacity to try to 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 keep people employed? So we took our isopropyl alcohol, we cut that to 70%, we added some glycerol to that, and uh, we did our first packaging uh, of that yesterday. We're not just making this product, it has to be safe and to the same standards that someone would expect um, if they were to get it from someone whose job is hand, san- hand sanitizers. This week on the show, three different perspectives on making hand sanitizer in the brewery. Hi, my name's Derek Reiser. I'm with Old Herald Brewery and Distillery in Collinsville, Illinois. Uh, we're just a little over a year old. Yeah, this is Dave Brathcamp. I'm with uh, Save the World Brewing. We've been in business for about six years now. Um, we're a uh, production brewery, um, no food here. Um, and uh, just beer. My name is Joel Moore. I'm with Big Storm Brewing Company. Uh, we're an eight-year-old brewery down in the Tampa Bay, Florida area. Uh, we operate a large production facility as well as two small satellite brew pubs, and we just recently re- uh, got our distiller's license. So, Derek, why don't you um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your brewery? So, we're a ten-barrel system, and it's it's mostly focused on uh, serving on-site, on-premise. So it's a brew pub, restaurant experience. Uh, we kind of have an underserved market. We're near the St. Louis area. We're across the Mississippi River from St. Louis, but we haven't had uh, the same kind of number of brew pubs uh, in our in our neighborhood that, that most of the other areas have. Uh, so we're in the, uh, the old Council Herald building. So it's an old newspaper building. So our theme is, is oriented around printing, newspaper business. Uh, that's, it was, it was in this building for about 80 years. So, uh, we have a lot of fun with our beer names, uh, a lot of puns related to the newspaper business. So, you know, our IPA is late edition, 
Uh, we have our printer's ink is our, our, our black ale. And, you know, it's kind of go along with that theme. My passion is craft distilling. And my goal is to take craft distilling down the same kind of path that craft brewing has been over the last 20 years or so. And, uh, and kind of bring that kind of innovation that we enjoy in the brewing world now to the spirits world. Cool. And so did you guys, you've been a brewery and distillery since you opened up all at once there, or did you do one first and then the other? No, we, uh, we went all in both at the same time, which was a, a, a nightmare to get the licensing to all come together at both the, the, the TTB stuff was, wasn't as tricky as the state stuff. Uh, but here we are and it's uh, going great so far. Okay, great. Well, uh, let's get into sort of your hand sanitizer adventures here. How did that all unfold in your brewery? You know, so the, the funny thing was we had a tour on uh, Leap Day, and uh, it was kind of a, a educational outreach tour with Southern Illinois University at Edwardsville. And as we were, you know, I was kind of doing the whole routine with heads, hearts, tails, kind of talk about the distillation process. And they asked what I was doing with the, the heads. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I use them for cleaning. Um, you know, I keep them around as a great solvent. It's not something you want to drink. Um, but I use it to clean some stuff up, especially the still and stuff that drips on the still and heats up. So, uh, and, and one of them made kind of an offhanded comment about, wow, could you use this uh, as hand sanitizer for the virus? And I'm like, well, technically it would murder the virus, um, but, you know, it wouldn't be great for your hands. And so that kind of planted the seed originally. And then as we realized that, look, there's a real need for hand sanitizer, uh, that, that kind of led me to, well, how, how do we do this? How do we figure this out? It could be a great thing to, to offer to our community and kind of, um, you know, help our community through this. And then we were overwhelmed with the demand. Uh, the, I mean, it's just amazing that, you know, in our, our world, supply chain management and stuff now, um, People just can't get hand sanitizer. So we've focused our effort on and, and partnered up with the, the Council Rotary Club to help distribute the sanitizer that we make here to um, assisted living centers, to uh, healthcare workers, first responders. Um, and then we also give away bottles with our curbside takeout orders now. That's, so we're in the, in the lockdown mode, but folks can come, come curbside and take away food. So we're offering it to to our loyal customers as well. That's pretty cool. Okay, so uh, let's hear about how you make it. Well, so it's been an adventure. So starting out, we didn't have a lot of guidance. So starting out the, the end of February, very beginning of March, um, really we were just kind of looking at the CDC requirements and, and they were recommending 120 proof at least for hand sanitizer. And so, okay, well, we'll, we'll jack that up. We'll use, uh, I started out just using GNS. Um, I've got GNS sitting around that I make some gin with and some horseradish vodka and some other flavored spirits. And um, Ex Explain GNS. There might be some people listening that don't know that term. Oh, sure. So grain-neutral spirits, um, and they're, they're typically over 190 proof, 95.5% uh, alcohol generally, so 191 proof or higher, um, and which is a tough thing to do with a craft still uh so that's that's why i acquired uh the grain neutral spirits usually through somebody like ultra pure or something like that um and so i was using that as a base for the sanitizer well i know i've got a real high proof alcohol that i can use for that uh and then 
since then, uh, as I've started to blow through my GNS and it's difficult to get because now there's a lot of people making sanitizer, you know, industrial, there's, there's pharmacies making hand sanitizer as well, using, using it as a base. And, uh, so I partnered up with a winery, uh, locally that had gone into default and had a lot of wine in tanks, had four or 5,000 gallons of wine in tanks that got oxidized while sitting while this winery went through foreclosure. So the, the purchaser of that winery offered to begin to bring totes of that wine over for me to distill. And so that's been a, a new component uh, that we're using and, and run it through the still. You know, it really takes a couple, two, three times to get it to that GNS level proof. Um, it's, it's helping me hone my distilling skills <laughs> as well. Uh, so, so we take that as the base. Uh, I'm sure the other guys here have the same story. And then now that we have guidance from the TTB, FDA, World Health Organization, um, you, you, you dilute that down a bit with some distilled or, or RO water. Um, and then you also use hydrogen peroxide, uh, 3% hydrogen peroxide um, solution added to it, which theoretically that helps kill any other spores that might be in the other non-alcohol ingredients as well. And then you can add glycerol to it, uh, which really helps um, it be a little more skin friendly, basically. And so there's there's some pretty pretty well out, laid out formulas for this combination, um, and that's that's what we're using for our guidance now. Let's hear about stuff you wish you knew before all this got started. Uh, well, I wish I knew what kind of a demand there was going to be for it, um, and because it, it's 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 tough because we're having to tell a lot of people no. Um, you know, I get, we get daily inquiries, uh, really a lot of essential workers that are out there, they're interacting with people, um, they need it. And so there's a lot of companies like, like our local power company, um, the telephone companies, the cable companies, uh, the HVAC folks, all these contractors that are, that are helping to build additions to the hospitals and stuff. They're all asking for it and they want to buy it. Uh, I just can't crank out, you know, with my, my, you know, I have a thousand liters still. I can throw, you know, 250, 260 gallons in it at a time and, and get, uh, you know, 25 gallons of high proof spirits to use as a base. So I'm, I'm not going to be cranking out thousands of gallons of this that I can then sell on pallets and a 55 gallon drum. So it's, it's tough to have to tell these folks no. And, and especially when some of them have been great partners for us as well you know we want to keep our power company happy and and the gas company and all those things but um so it's tough to say no uh it would have been nice to have been better prepared and 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 not be able to you know not have to react um like we are here and then i think little things like um you know what are we going to do with the taxes on this um and i think that's still kind of getting worked out a bit um you know, I think the early batches we made, you know, we were trying to get a little clever with it and add some other things to it to make it feel better on the hands. So, you know, gel it a little bit. Um, so we were adding, adding um, um, xanthan gum to it. And then we realized, hey, that really, that's not uh, in line with the World Health Organization guidelines and things like that. But those, those came around and that, those got well published to us by uh, March 18th or so when the TTB said, okay, well, the, we're okay with you doing this, but follow these guidelines. 
a better definition of denatured spirits was one of the things you mentioned to me that you wish you had known beforehand. Comment on that. Yeah, and that kind of comes back to the tax issue. Um, you know, if if you're using denatured spirits, which um, I guess the layman's version of that is it's alcohol that's no longer potable um, and it's not something you can drink and somebody get drunk off of. Um, if if there was better definitions for how to do that, and usually that's more of an industrial process or, or a byproduct um, type of thing, but um, it, you know, it's not very clear uh, how you denature it so then you no longer owe the taxes on it. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that the legislation will be passed that allows those of us that are, um, that are producing this uh, during this crisis to, to not have the tax burden. Um, which in our state is is pretty substantial. You know, it's eight, eight, uh, eight, about eight thirty a gallon. Um, so plus plus then the federal excise taxes. So I think that's that's the main issue with the denatured. If you, if you can create it as denatured spirit as the base, um, then you avoid those taxes. But you know, in this process, I don't want to add anything to it that then conflicts with the World Health Organization guidelines or the FDA guidelines. Um, and so really at this point, I'm just going to be responsible for the taxes on it. Right. Okay. That makes sense. All right, Dave, I, I love the name of your company, which has a pretty unusual business model for a brewery. Tell us about what you guys do. Uh, yeah, so we're a brewery, um, we're not a distillery, so that's kind of our little bit different stint than the other guys here. Um, we, uh, are Save the World Brewing because we, uh, uh, give all our profits away to charity. And um, as such, whenever some sort of crisis comes up, we try and pull resources together, whether it be um, monetary resources, <coughs> excuse me, or um, collecting food or collecting, you know, things that are needed for that uh, particular situation. And for this situation, um, initially we were um, looking around at what we had, at what we could offer. And that was, um, the, uh, we had some leftover isopropyl alcohol, and so uh, we quickly uh, threw together some hand sanitizer that um, we kind of um, uh, distributed to people around, uh, some uh, organizations that needed it, and that quickly ran out. And then we kind of were looking around like, well, what, what else can we do? Um, and like I said, we're not a distillery, but we could order some more isopropyl alcohol. So then we contacted our supplier. Um, try to put an order in for that. Um, they uh, quickly told us that they didn't have any more isopropyl alcohol, so but they said they had some ethanol uh, sanitizer. So we ordered the ethanol sanitizer, and then what actually showed up was just crazy this time. The, 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 it was our isopropyl alcohol. So we took our isopropyl alcohol, we cut that to 70%, we added some glycerol to that, and uh, we did our first packaging uh, of that yesterday. Um, and we just used our 12-ounce bottles, uh, glass bottles, and uh, we're just uh, distributing that. Um, we're mainly supplying our uh, in institutions in the area. We're a small town, and uh, there's a shortage uh, throughout. Um, and then as far as for folks, uh, we're trying to limit on how much we're giving to individuals. We're just giving them one 12-ounce bottle per person. Um, we're also not um, charging uh, anybody for the uh, bottles. 
uh, or just asking that they give uh, a tip to the uh, local food banks because they're really getting depleted at this time also. Dave, I know you want to mention the safety issues that come with packaging a a flammable product. Talk about that. Yeah, so um, like I said, we're not a distillery, so working with these higher alcohol uh, types of substances just isn't really in our wheelhouse. And so, uh, you know, what I could read about, you know, it's not, you know, it's, I even took some, you know, of it, a flame to it to see how flammable it was, and, uh, just to try and get an idea whether I could use what type of equipment in our brew house. I didn't want to send a spark and blow the whole place up. Um, so what I ended up doing was kind of separating. I used our We kind of have two bottling. Uh, We have our big bottling uh, machine, which uh, is very quick and it's all automated and that sort of stuff. And then we have a very small forehead filler that we use mainly when we uh, bottle our sour beers. And so I use that, or just our small uh, forehead bottler. And then I, we took the bottles over to the to the big uh, uh, bottling machine and used our capper for that. So we tried to just kind of separate the two flammable things so we didn't have this. Uh, so uh, it was, and we had our fire extinguishers and out and everything else like that. Probably overkill because uh, I don't think it's that combustible. I know it's flammable, but I know it's that not com- that uh, combustible and the, the vapors uh, or the fumes are not as dangerous as, say, gasoline. So, uh, but I didn't know exactly, you know, what precautions sh- we should take during the bottling process. Yeah, that's right. Thanks also to Chuck Skypeck from the BA. He couldn't be on the line with us today, but he also sent over a few important points, including a reminder that most packaging lines designed to package beer don't meet electrical code in regards to packaging a product that's typically you know seventy percent ethanol. So um, that's a definitely something people need to be aware of as if they're attempting to do this. up we're not just making this product it has to be safe and to the same standards that someone would expect um, if they were to get it from someone whose job is hand hand sanitizers i'm john bryce and you're listening to the master brewers podcast from the master brewers association of the americas Support for this podcast is brought to you by ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, triclamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Additional support provided by Brewery Supply Group is now the proud exclusive distributor of Dingaman's Malt. BSG is thrilled to partner with the Dingaman's family and to distribute their superior quality malts to brewers, distillers, and homebrewers in the U.S. and Canada. Dingaman's Malt combines modern techniques with their long-standing focus on quality and service to their customers and remains 100% independent and family-owned. Go to bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn more. And thank you also to Fermentis is the obvious choice for beverage fermentation. From large and small breweries to home brewers, we've provided the beer industry with the best fermentation yeast since 2003. The yeasts are easy to use. Just pitch Fermentis yeast directly into your wort. 
no rehydration necessary. To learn more about how Fermentus can improve the quality of your fermentation, visit Fermentus.com. The Master Brewer's calendar is a hot mess, as you might imagine, due to COVID-19. Almost everything in April and May has been postponed or canceled, including the Brewery Packaging Technology course. Definitely check the calendar events at mbaa.com for the latest updates. Here are some events that remain on the calendar as of April 3rd. The District Texas Spring Meeting has been rescheduled. The new date for that is May 29th in Fort Worth. District Midwest meets at BrewDog June 27th. District Northern California has moved their meeting at Drake's Brewing to July 23rd. The best brewing conference worldwide only happens every four years, and it's happening this August. WBC 2020 will be held August 1st through the 4th in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find all the details at worldbrewingcongress.org or just follow the link in the show notes. The District Texas Annual Summer Meeting in Kerrville is August 7th through the 9th. The Master Brewers Brewery Systems Technology and Maintenance course begins September 13th in Madison. The District Northwest Fall Meeting is scheduled for October 9th and 10th. The Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science course is October 25th through November 6th in Madison. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. Dave, why don't you talk to us a little bit about labeling requirements? Um, yeah, that's another thing that we had no idea about is the labeling requirements. Um, so what I basically did was just look at the, a bottle of Purell and see what they put on there and just kind of try to pr- pretty much put exactly what they did. Um, then when I did that, it came out to be this huge uh, label. Um, and, you know, we don't have the time to make labels because we we're just going to put them on Avery labels and it's going to be big. and and the cost started getting up, and so we just kind of shrunk everything down to uh, basically a, uh, a, a little return envelope-sized Avery uh, label that we placed on there. Um, and, you know, if we were going to continue on with this, I think we would be a little bit more, uh, and especially if we were selling the product, uh, we probably want to know exactly what to put on there. But we try to put as much information as far as, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know how to use this product and the the, the uh, precautions and the ingredients and that we're actually making it uh, so that sort of stuff um, kind of minimal so but I didn't know exactly what the labeling requirements were. All right, um, do you want to talk about packaging options? I know that the you know the availability of of uh, packaging materials is is probably a little tricky for something like this. Yeah, we found that out pretty quickly because initially we we're just going to put it into uh, spray bottles and just distribute. Because when we did our first little uh, batch, uh, we just went down to our local uh, uh, Home Depot or Lowe's and, and picked up some spray bottles. And that's what we filled up with. And that worked pretty well. And we thought we were going to do that again, but they ran out. And we contacted the store manager who was willing to actually donate them and said he couldn't even get any. And then we started looking online and couldn't find any uh, spray bottles, even from uh, large manufacturers. And so uh, that became a big problem very soon. And so then we thought, well, at least we have our 12 ounce bottles and we can do that and people can use that to because uh, we then we started thinking, well, we could have people bring in their bottles. We could fill those. 
But then the logistics of the different heights and sizes of the bottles became pretty problematic. And we needed something uniform in size. So we thought, we'll just do our 12-ounce bottles. People can take them home. They can pour it into their own empty spray bottles. Or if they you know, want to just puncture a small hole in the top of their, their crown and just uh, you know, uh, dispense it that way, that, that would be fine. But that was a problem that we kind of ran into was uh, what sort of packaging that we could use. Dave, um, you're also, uh, your brewery's also doing a, a beer for masks program. Why don't you talk to us about that? Yeah, that was another thing that we thought that we could uh, start up. Um, uh, initially, um, well, my wife and I are both former physicians, and we have a lot of our friends and colleagues that are still practicing. And uh, we started getting, uh, you know, when this started happening, we started reaching out to them. And a lot of them are, you know, in uh, really hard-hit areas such as New York and San Francisco and New Orleans. And we started contacting them and seeing how they're doing and, you know, what, what, what do y'all need? And that's when, you know, everybody started running out of uh, the, uh, the, the, the mask, the personal protective uh, mask. And uh, they're like, we're having to reuse them. And, uh, and we thought, well, what if we uh, made masks and then you could put them over it and that would prolong the mask. And then at the end of the day, you could wash those masks. And then, you know, it's just an extra layer that they could use. And uh, they were really excited about that. So then we started uh, uh, making our own. And then we were like, well, we need the community to, to kind of start helping us out with this. And so we thought, well, I, I, you know, people love beer. <laughs> and so we thought, how about we trade people that they make a mask at home uh, and they bring it into the brewery. We'll give them a, a, a beer for that. And so we, we started our, our beer for mask program. So whenever somebody brought in a, a, a mask, we'd give them a 12-ounce bottle of beer. And that was very popular. And it, it also uh, it was... a a nice morale boost for the community because a lot of people are sitting at home. They want to do something besides just, you know, huddling in place. And so this gave them an opportunity to, to actually do something. And so I think that really helped out a lot of people, um, not only people that we distributed the mess to, but also here, here at home, uh, that they're able to help out folks. Nice. Good work. Um, so are you guys, uh, are you guys done after you run out of your, uh, your stock of, uh, of isopropyl or what's the plan? Yeah, so um, we're going to probably, the way it's working is we're probably going to run out of this pretty quickly. Um, and so we're debating that right now. Um, it, it's, um, the supplies have pretty much shrunk up. So getting isopropyl is really not an option. And then actually buying large uh, containers of uh, pre-made sanitizer, it, it starts to get cost prohibitive for us in the sense that we're giving this product away. And so just kind of the a back of an envelope calculation is going to cost us about uh, $2.50 just on uh, 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 just the uh, ingredients uh, to, to make it. And that was going to add up pretty quickly. And so we probably won't continue unless we are able to make some sort of alliance with a uh, distillery around the area that we get theirs. Um, but um, uh, as was said um, earlier, that um, a lot of distilleries are making as much as they can right now. And, um, but, you know, we're open for ideas. Cool. All right, Joel, you're down in Florida with Big Storm Brewing, another great brewery name. What's your story? So this started off uh, kind of really, I'd say, spur of the moment in, in, in one sense. Uh, March is typically our busiest month of the year with spring break and, and vacations and just kind of the natural business cycle. Uh, so we came into it just full bore on beer and 
it hit Florida really fast and really hard. Uh, and we found ourselves really kind of scrambling to uh, adjust um, and knowing where we needed to go from uh, from the day to day. So they shut down uh, the restaurants, the bars, you know, all those non-essential businesses. Uh, and we found ourselves just with a whole production staff with nothing to do, uh, no sales, so to, uh, really to speak of. Uh, so we needed to to pivot very, very rapidly. We really worked hard to try not to have to uh, let anybody go. Um, And that was really one of our big driving factors was how can we pivot all our people and our production capacity to try to, to, to keep people employed Um, as well as help. You know, we had people reaching out for hand sanitizer, knowing that we had the capability to do that. So uh, we started off with isopropyl alcohol because uh, we had that in inventory. Uh, we had hydrogen peroxide in, in abundant quantities, uh, and we used up everything we had in ISO really, really fast. Um, we had people reaching out, contacting us, wanting five, 600 gallons at a time. Uh, so large quantities. Um, so that's when we started exploring our options because isopropyl was uh, running out of supply very, very rapidly. Uh, we had a couple instances where I thought I had secured 15, 20 drums uh, just to have that disappear overnight, practically. Um, so uh, we had one, we have actually paid for it <laughs> and they, they sold it out from under us or, or some such sort of thing uh, and had to try to get our money back while we're trying to use that money to, to, uh, to go buy product or do something with um so that kind of led us to a plan that we had been working on for some time which was to get our dsp our our distilled spirits permit um and some different kind of hang-ups had prevented us from uh, getting to that point where that project was finished so we fast-tracked in every way we could and in about a week week and a half we we got our license we got the stills set up, installed, and fired up, um, and we actually just got done running our first washes uh, Sunday morning. Um, so we started manufacturing with ethyl alcohol that we produced here on site. Um, so and that also allowed us to buy tote ethanol, uh, and that's what we've we've been supplementing our production with that hoping to churn out about a thousand uh, thousand gallons a week is kind of our target uh, but it's allowed us to keep the production staff employed uh, and keep keep everything running and that's really been the important thing for us is to make sure you know we're, we're able to take care of our people yeah you know it's it sounds like you know, a lot of what Dave and Derek are, have been doing you know are primarily um, acts of charity thus far which is admirable but it's also admirable to pivot from beer to hand sanitizer if that's what you know keeps people employed so what's what's key for uh, when when that's your mission is to keep people employed you know how do you extract as much net income from this process as possible so we were going to try to do the uh, either denatured spirits or or the grain neutral spirits and the price for that at the time had just shot up so rapidly so fast um, that or if it even was available uh, that it was like we we're going to have to make our own ethanol in order to keep this going. 
so we looked at making our washes as, as low cost as possible. Uh, so we are doing a sucrose wash uh, with a little bit of barley in it, uh, 30 barrels at a time. Uh, up to, we have a, up to 120 barrels of fermenters, so, so we can kind of scale it up as needed. But um, we're fermenting that in about three days. Um, so we can kind of, it's, it's only 880 liters of distillation capacity. So it, it takes us three or four days to even distill all that down. And that's 24 seven. Um, so we, you know, we'll never, we'll never, uh, the stills will never run dry uh, with what we can do just in 30 barrel batches. And I, I believe uh, you mentioned that our, our friends from uh, Fermentis, which is uh, one of the sponsors who make this show possible, they provided some technical advice to you for the, for the, for producing that wash. Let's hear about that. Right. Um, so I'm a, I'm definitely a brewer. I'm not a distiller background. I actually sent my first stuff through a still on Friday. <laughs> and, uh, so, so fermenting those sorts of substrates was pretty new to me. And it was, uh, I was trying to, uh, you know, I'm, I make beer. Um, so trying to learn all the inner ins and outs of trying to, 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 uh, ferment something with such a high sugar content. Uh, and to get the ABV real high. So we were targeting about 18% on the wash. Uh, so I reached out to them. I had been looking at uh, one of their, their distillation yeasts, and, and it started off with just a question on, on that guy. Um, and they kind of steered me in a, a better direction. So at first we were thinking, you know, we didn't want to have to use all our brewing barley. We needed that for when, well, for when you know, we can make beer again. Uh, so we wanted to stick with uh, a low-cost sugar, uh, and we could find that in the sucrose. So we started fermenting that, and at first I thought we'd just do 100%, but they they corrected me, um, adding a little bit of that barley in there, uh, and they recommended 20% of the fermentable sugars being barley, and that turned out to be about uh, you know 26 barrels or so at a six Play-Doh. And then we topped it up to about 32 barrels of, uh, of uh, uh, sucrose, basically, and to get about a 30 plate of wash. Uh, and that fermented in about three days. So the barley was in there as a buffer for the uh, pH to help that fermentation go rapidly. Is, is that process turning out to be more cost effective for you than, than what you were doing before? Um. Right now, the, the real bottleneck for uh, cost tends, is now at the stills. So that wash is pretty cheap for us to, to produce. Um, it's a couple bucks per barrel. Um, so, so relatively cheap. So it's just about how efficient we can distill that up to proof um, is really our bottleneck. So this last, this first, uh, full 30 barrel distillation, uh, we weren't the most efficient still definitely learning how to drive that proof and be, get as much ethanol out of that as we can. Um, we, we, we ended up with only about half of the, the ethanol, that high proof ethanol that we were targeting. Um, but by the end of the day, by the end of the batch, when we were nearly done uh, distilling all that wash down, uh, we kind of figured out what we were doing wrong, and hopefully we'll do it better the next time, which will probably be by the end of this week. Um, 
that that got a little bit of expensive just just as uh, how inefficient we were on the stills so buying alcohol is still cheaper for us uh than manufacturing it ourselves but you know going back to supply chain um you can't who get knows yeah. what where it's going to be at a week to week sometimes right okay uh dave do you want to comment some on on cost as well um, sure. Um, yeah, and uh, we were kind of running into the same thing that the uh, prices are just going up and up as far as, you know, trying to buy, uh, uh, you know, uh, isopropyl, if you can even get it. Um, and so at this point, um, a lot of our, we're down in Texas, and a lot of, there's other distilleries that are uh, kind of coming on board and making hand sanitizer, which is great because, um and we don't want to steal business away from other distilleries uh, by giving it, you know, make, you know, getting a product and then just giving it away. We'd rather, you know, if if, an, if a distillery is out there and they can uh, run it and, uh, and make a profit that, or and keep their employees uh, on board, then uh, that's what we would rather have them do uh, than us trying to steal away from that. So uh, for all those reasons, we're probably just going to, uh, you know pull back and and let the uh the distillers out there kind of uh take over the show so but as an interim and you know kind of uh helping folks out while we could um it worked out but uh you know as far as you know trying to buy more uh alcohol and then uh it's just not going to work for us i don't think okay makes sense i guess joel i forgot to ask anything anything you wish you'd known before you you know jumped into all this stuff um yeah <laughs> i mean probably a multiple of things but uh, uh you never really i never expected to be making hand sanitizer that's that's for sure um right now i guess what i'm trying to learn is uh, a lot of the uh, the distillation side of of the not only uh the process but ttb regulations how they handle uh taxing and and our permits are industrial um we haven't finished the beverage permit yet so like as far as denaturing goes like we're we're trying to follow their formulas for denaturing for instance um there's a lot of those little bits and pieces that you know where our learning curve has been very very steep on trying to catch up on how we need to be operating because we're even though the ttb the fda and some other organizations have been kind of lax on their regulation um, and what they're allowing to happen right now, just as a public service to get these products out. Um, we're trying to follow it as close to the letter of the law, um, expecting that when this is all over, perhaps we can, we can still continue along in, in some aspect. Um, but it also just for the safety aspect, uh, the safety concerns about following things to th th those regulations that they put in place exist for a reason. So let's try to follow them if we can, I suppose is the best way to put that. Um, I've luck. I've been lucky enough that my lab manager is also from the analytical pharmaceutical side. Uh, he's a, a chemist. So he has done the logging for, uh, FDA type products. So, we're trying to follow a lot of those procedures when it comes to lot logging, uh, batch logging, and and traceability on our supply chains. Um, that's that's definitely been 
uh, a big concern for us is to making sure that we're just we're not just making this product it has to be safe and to the same standards that someone would expect um, if they were to get it from someone whose job is hand, hand sanitizers. And you've even been uh, issuing SDS uh, certificates as well, right? Yeah. So we spent, uh, after we first did the isopropyl mixture, uh, and we were going to sell uh, a large quantity to, to a customer, um, we very rapidly just made up an uh, SDS. There are some uh, template and formula SDS uh, worksheets you can get find off the internet. Um, and then it's a template that you can kind of start filling in the data based upon what you're adding into uh, into the product. And we use some of the other hand sanitizers that are on the market to help kind of guide us onto exactly what is in there based upon the formulation. Again, we are using the uh, the CDC, the the World Health Organization, all the, and the FDA, all their guidelines on 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 what should be in there. There's nothing outside of what they recommend to be in there. Yeah, and I just saw um, some posts on the Master Brewers community site uh, this morning indicating that um, well, it, what people are putting up that that um, World Health Health Organization uh, formulas and guidance and and uh, you know whatnot. So um, we'll definitely include uh, links to that in the show notes as well. Um, for anybody who needs to see those, the the Brewers Association um, they also issued some guidelines for sanitizer recommendations during COVID nineteen. Uh, perhaps a coincidence, perhaps not, but that guidance was published the day after a Florida brewery uh, indicated by social media that it was giving away six packs of canned parasitic acid in beer cans. Um, I'm sure they had the best of intentions, but you know, man, does that sound like an accident waiting to happen. What measures uh, have you guys uh, taken or discussed uh, to decrease the likelihood that this stuff might inadvertently end up in someone's stomach? Well, from our, our standpoint, I think that's that's the intention of the denaturing part of the of the conversation. But um, it, it's it's tough to to follow that, you know, as a as a new distiller and, and understanding that and then how how to avoid adding something to it that that conflicts with the FDA and and the World Health Organization guidelines. But luckily, glycerol um, is often use as a as a denaturing agent as well and so i think being generous to the you know the percentages that are recommended in the guidelines with with the glycerol it's it's good for the skin but it also would make it a a, you know an an unpleasant you know beverage so so that that i think is the thing that we have best going for us in in that regard and then just properly labeling it um that it it is this is not a beverage alcohol um is, is our best course of action right now, I think. Yeah, I would, I would, we had that same sort of conversation because obviously we had packaging lines and, and beer packaging available to us. Um, the idea of sending it through our packaging lines um, was very quickly shot down for, for some obvious safety reasons, as well as just maintaining the machines it's just that's just ridiculous um but then the idea of putting it into a package that is specifically meant for beverage consumption that really i think is kind of starting to cross the line that's that's where you just need to be a prudent individual and know that that is not a reasonable thing to do and you're just asking for a problem okay 
Um, I, I don't know how much you want to get into if it's worth talking about um, regulations and stuff. Uh, you know, I've read that uh, obviously production of hand sanitizer is highly regulated. I've read that various federal agencies, including TTB, FDA, HHS, and Congress have been updating and providing guidance for alcohol manufacturers who are interested in either producing their own hand sanitizers or supplying alcohol for their production. How much of your time has been eaten up by just trying to navigate all of that and any tips or tricks there or comments about that whole process? Well, I'd, I'd give a shout out to, we, we use some software to help us track our production and help us, you know, track our compliance for our, our monthly reporting purposes. And so I'll give a shout out to Hoochware. Um, they right away uh, came out with some calculators to help us, you know, based on whether we were doing it by weight, by volume, to help make sure that we were following the FDA and, and WHO guidelines with the ingredients and measuring them properly uh, to get the proof right. But then they've also followed up with guidance for compliance for the reporting purposes. And some of that's uh, up in the air with how, you know, that's going to play out with taxes and stuff like that. But um, that's, that's been really helpful for me um, to track it. And, you know, we're just following all our batches, um, providing the documentation there that then we can figure out the, the right way to properly report it. I think uh, the FDA was mentioned and, and, and their processes and all that is very new to me. I mean, we've, as a distillery, we do register with the FDA, um, but we haven't had the same kind of compliance and reporting and, and such that are required for being able to track the, the, you know, the supply chain stuff and be able to, if there are adverse interactions that, that a consumer has um, to be able to, call back a product and all that, all that's completely new to us in this context. And, uh, you know, I'm just, you know, basically I probably spend about an hour a day keeping an eye on, you know, what, what should I be doing and how I do it and, and, you know, learning as we go. This conversation in itself, it really highlights, you know, our focus as brewers and distillers on the community and our interaction and with with our communities and i think it's a fantastic thing and it, it it's really just kept us going through these these tough times to to see what how, you know what we can all do together and helping us, each other out and making our communities stronger and then in turn the appreciation that we get back from the community um is going to help us get get through this That was Derek Reiser, Dave Rathcamp, and Joel Moore here on the Master Brewers Podcast. Check the show notes for links. Be safe and hang in there. Have you figured out which brewing conferences you'll be attending this year? There's one that should be your top priority. Like the Olympics, it only happens every four years, and it attracts the best minds in brewing from across the globe. The World Brewing Congress is hosted by ASBC and Master Brewers in collaboration with the Brewery Convention of Japan, the European Brewery Convention, and the UK's Institute of Brewing and Distilling. It's hands down my favorite brewing conference and is packed with the best technical presentations, posters, and networking you will ever experience. If you're serious about your career in brewing, you should be there. 
WBC 2020 will be held August 1st through the 4th in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find all the details at worldbrewingcongress.org or just follow the link in the show notes. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, ABS, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Fermentis. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Let's take a